glad that you are here tonight for the Word of God, and it's always a privilege to be able to uh, dig into the Word of God and to learn some valuable principles that will uh, serve us well, not just today and not just this week, but the principles of God's Word are eternal, and they help us all of the days of our life. Amen. So I'm glad that you're here tonight, and I want to jump right into the Word of God and turn your attention to one verse of Scripture, First uh, Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 8. First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 8. I just want to read one verse to you, and then we're, we'll go back and we'll be reading uh, different passages of Scripture uh, as we go through this. But let's uh, just start out with this first verse. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon earth in my sight. And the, the two words that, um, that jump out at me is the words that say much blood. Much blood. And I want to talk a little bit tonight about this uh, thought. The blood is enough. The blood is enough. Now we know that this was in reference to um, David and David had been very, um, very much a warrior, and uh, the the nation of Israel uh, had really come to prominence under David. But David had uh, fought many battles, and uh, there had been much bloodshed through the course of his life as he literally had to fight his way to the kingdom, to the throne. And then, of course, fought many battles as the king of Israel in uh, defending and, I'm sure, also advancing the, the territory of the children of Israel during his reign. It appeared that at this point that the, the kingdom of Israel would continue to thrive, but that there was now a second chapter or there was a, a new future. And the Lord... Uh, did not want to use David for this next part of advancing the kingdom of Israel on this earth. And he gives David the reason in this verse as to why David would not be the one who would build this great temple, which later on became known as Solomon's temple, because his son Solomon built that tremendous edifice that was one of the wonders of the world. And, and so it was told to David that um, he would not build it because he had shed uh, much blood. And uh, it, it, the Bible says in the verse that I read to you, he says, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. And um, so there was a, a, a transition that was taking place. And it was a transition where the 
the Lord was wanting to take the kingdom of Israel to a place of prominence that um, would not have so much blood being shed. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Solomon really did not fight that many battles. He uh, was quite the strategist and he um, would marry the daughter of these other kings of other lands and nobody wants to fight against their own flesh and blood. So uh, Solomon really didn't fight a lot of battles, certainly not like his father. And, and so there was a transition. Now, the wonderful thing about this is that David had such a heart for the things of God that David didn't say, well, if I can't build a temple, then, you know, I'm not going to do anything else for God. I don't know why he would hold that against me. Many of these battles I fought, blood that was shed was for the cause of the kingdom. And um, I didn't have a choice. He could have justified. But instead, he built what has become known as the Tabernacle of David, which was a, a place, an edifice that was much more uh, conservative. But it was uh, built for the purpose of praising God. It was much smaller. And it was still something that brought glory to God. But it certainly wasn't to the magnitude of this temple that would refer, be referred to as Solomon's temple. So it's interesting that the Lord specifically told David that thou had shed much blood and, and so you would not uh, be the one to build this. In the early uh, morning of Tuesday, uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, 19 years ago this Friday, uh, two days away from the, the 19th anniversary of uh, 9-11, we witnessed uh, the greatest shedding of blood on American soil in the history of our nation. And after those towers had collapsed and the wounded uh, were without number, a cry went forth from the Red Cross that said, if you want to help, please donate blood. And as we get into this, I want, I want you to think of two different aspects to this this, this idea that we have enough blood. And the first one that I want to focus on is to say this. We have had enough blood shed to last a lifetime. If we never have another war, if we never have another terrorist attack, if we never have another plague, we have had enough. The blood that has been shed, even in my lifetime, could fill a river. We have had enough blood. We've had enough war. We've had enough hate. We've had enough hurt. We've had enough greed. Enough is enough. And I believe that this is what the Lord was telling David, that there, there's been enough shed. But the story does not end there. There is a second part. There was a second chapter to the rise of Israel in the Old Testament, and there is a second chapter to the church in these last days. By Wednesday evening on that, that rocky island known as Manhattan, the most expensive real estate on the earth, not even 36 hours later, after the fall of those towers, another message came forth, from the Red Cross, and it was simply this. We have 
enough blood. We have enough blood. Not even 36 hours later, the response from the American people was so overwhelming that they could not even contain the abundance of blood donations. People begin to line up to give blood. All over New York, all over the country, people that lived in states far away from New York, they lined up to give blood to the point where the Red Cross had to literally stop it and say, we have enough blood. Our country, in my estimation, continues to be underestimated. Not only do we have plenty of blood, and not only do we have plenty of heart, we have plenty of compassion. And I have been so moved, as I'm sure you have been, by friends of mine that have experienced COVID and have recovered. And now when I talk to them, they are giving plasma to try and help others fight this virus. People that they will never meet. What they call convalescent plasma is being donated in America by the hundreds of thousands. Convalescent refers to anyone recovering from a disease and plasma is the yellow liquid part of the blood that contains antibodies. Antibodies are proteins that are made by the body in response to infections. And so other people come through COVID and they don't forget others coming behind them. They're going to need a little help. And it's amazing how people go through uh, the, the COVID virus. And then after they get through it, they desire to help someone else. And as much compassion as America has, there is one that has more. As much blood that the Red Cross has there is one that has more. And I want to talk to you about that tonight. I want to turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we begin in verse 18. 1 Peter, way over now in the New Testament, uh, toward the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, reading verses 18 through 23. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Those are not the things that have redeemed you. But here's what has redeemed you. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, 
not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Oh, hallelujah. You say, oh, preacher, I've done so many sins. We have enough blood. Because we've got the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus can cover everyone's sins. And I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how sick any of us get. We have enough blood. Jesus Christ's blood is enough to cover the sickness and the sins of the entire world. Eight, nine, ten billion, doesn't matter how many it is. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover. Hallelujah. You say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. Whatever you've done, we have enough blood. Whatever you've done, God, hallelujah, has shed his blood for you. And it is enough. The blood that was shed on Calvary still flows. And it's enough to, to deliver all of us from our sins. It's enough to, to cover the evil of this world. It flows like a river from Calvary. This blood, this blood-bought church that you and I are a part of, it has enough, it has enough blood to live above sin. Amen. Sometimes you'll go through things and you feel like, I just don't know if I can make it. You can make it. Because we have enough blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace does much more abound. Where sin abounds, think of it like a basketball bouncing. Where sin abounds, you know how they rebound in basketball? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws, we have enough blood. As much blood that was shed on September the 11th, 2001, there was more shed on Calvary. As much hate as there is in the world, there's more love through the eyes of God. Someone says, I just don't know if we're going to be able to go much longer in this world because the world is getting worse and worse, but Jesus is getting better and better. We have enough blood. Hallelujah. Oh, God is so good. I want to read some more verses to you. Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, beginning in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. You ought to put the blood over everything in your home, every thought, every action, every child, every object. You ought to cover your house, your thoughts, your mind, your spirit, your possessions. Everything ought to be covered with the blood of Jesus. You say, what if it, we don't have enough blood? We have enough blood. We have much blood. 
Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, all the, both the tabernacle, all the vessels, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And still it flows. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than sacrifices than these. Now it starts to talk about what's to come. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. That goes back now and it's using that same verbiage to describe this unending flow of the blood of Calvary. Even to the point where it was flowing before Calvary. It was from the foundation of the world. And what is that referring to? That's referring to the plan of salvation. That, that's referring to that in the mind of God, there was this redemption plan that was in place. It wasn't something that he waited until man sinned and then thought, I better have a redemption plan. Even before he created man, from the foundation of the world, redemption was in place. For then must he also often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's how you can believe and know that Jesus is God. Right there. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Oh, hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, I know I may be preaching to the choir tonight, but I just feel in my spirit to reiterate some things that we already know. And that is that God is bigger than every problem. Oh, hallelujah. I just felt to declare it tonight. It doesn't matter how many people get sick. It doesn't how many people fighting COVID or how many people are fighting cancer or how many problems or trials you're going through. God is bigger. God, hallelujah, has enough blood. God has enough power. God has enough strength. All you and I have got to do is say, Lord, cover me with your blood. Cover me with your blood. There's enough. There's a God that's bigger than all of our problems collectively and individually we have enough blood for our healing the bible says by my stripes ye are healed referring to what jesus went through on calvary so the church has enough blood to bring healing to a hurting world we have more healing than the devil has hurt because we've got the blood We've got more blood than the devil can ever shed. We have more blood than the devil has pain. We have more salvation than the devil has sin. We have more to shout about than we have to weep about. 
The Bible said he has healing in his wings. I like that. I'm glad that it used the metaphor of wings. Because he soars higher than the highest plane. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes whenever you and I get surrounded with crisis on every side, it's easy for us to get concerned and worried. Why wouldn't we? I mean, we're human beings and that's our nature. But oh, you got to step back from it all sometimes and you got to remember that your God is higher than the highest mountain. He sits upon the circle of the earth. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Hallelujah. And God has the power and God has the authority. Hallelujah. He is going to have the final say in all matters because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is higher. There was a man by the name of Felipe Petit. He was a... A high wire artist. He was one of these guys from uh, Russia that could uh, walk on these wires. And I, I think he originally uh, may have even trained in France. But he uh, became world renowned in his ability to uh, withstand strong winds and, and to walk on a high wire across very, very tall buildings with, with a long balancing uh, beam, as it were. And, and uh, on August the 7th, 1974, he strung a cable like a taunt guitar string 131 feet across the top of the two World Trade Towers. And on a cable less than an inch wide, he walked across. No. He danced across the wire, not once, not twice, but seven times. And the whole time, if you've ever seen pictures of this, he had this unalloyed uh, expression of joy the whole time. His smile literally was broadcast around the world. At 52 years old and living in upstate New York, when he, he found out about the bombing, he began to weep when asked to explain his reaction. He said, first and foremost, I feel profound tragedy, or, or, I'm sorry, profound sorrow for the human tragedy. But secondly, he said he felt like he had lost a child. And they asked him to explain that statement, and he began to explain. He said for nine years he studied those buildings, even before they were built. He said, from the moment I saw the plans, I studied, I practiced, I dreamed. And he said, on that morning, whenever I walked across those buildings, he said, I could not stop laughing because I felt like a poet dancing in the sky. He said, I did it because I wanted to show that anything is possible and that fear is not our master. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes I want you to get, the reason I share that story with you because I want you to get that image in your head. That what the devil intended for evil, you got to realize with God you can soar high above 
even the greatest tragedy that this nation has ever known. You got to get the feeling that with God on your side, hallelujah, you can walk across the top of any problem, any trial, any sorrow, hallelujah, that the Lord will lift you up and on wings he will cause you to soar high. He received a lifetime pass to the the observation deck on the South Tower, and he went there every month. Having recently visited four nights before the bombing, he said, I choose to remember the building and its identical twin as an edifice that inspired the best in people rather than the worst in human nature. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the world that you and I live in, we can get our eyes on all the problems, or we can step back and we can say, it's amazing what praising can do. It's amazing how people bind together to help each other. It's amazing the compassion of human nature. And if you can't see that, lift your eyes a little higher, as Brother Rich, he preached on Sunday night, and see how amazing your God is. He can lift you up above the sorrow. He can lift you up above the pain, above the hurt. Hallelujah. You may go through a test, but you're going through a test so you'll have a testimony. Because God wants to remind you, hallelujah, that He is still the one that's going to have the final say. He is still the one, hallelujah, that's going to be exalted in every situation. He's still the one that's going to give us the courage and the confidence and the commitment to walk on a high wire across everything that is happening in this world if you can get that revelation you can dance in the sky as other people just look on with wonder how is he able to do it how is she able to do it didn't they just get a report that they've got stage three cancer how are they able to dance in the sky because it's god hallelujah that gives me the strength it's God that says, I'm a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. It's God that says, it's going to be all right. It's God that gives you a song in the middle of the night. It's God that gives you a praise at midnight. I believe tonight that we can look back at this week, 19 years ago, and remember that it brought out the best in people. I believe that one day soon, We'll be able to look back at 2020 and see that it brought out the best in people. But what I pray even more, what I pray even more than the best and the worst of human nature is that we can see and we can feel and we can know that the innocent blood that was shed on Calvary is enough. For everything you're going through and everything I'm going through. And when you see that, you can rejoice. You don't have to wait till it's over. Amen. You can rejoice in the midst of the struggle. Because the Bible says there's healing in the wings. You see where I'm going? There's healing in the wings. There's deliverance in the wings. When you learn you can fly with the Lord, you can soar with the Lord, there's healing in that. We have more healing than the devil has cancer. 
Oh, hallelujah. I believe it with all my heart. We have more healing than the devil has stress. We have more healing than the devil has heart disease. Oh, hallelujah. And we have enough blood for protection. We, don't have, we not only have enough blood for salvation, we not only have enough blood for healing, we've got enough blood for protection. They told Moses, you know, tell the people, apply the blood to the doorposts and all over the lentil and don't be stingy with it. There's plenty of blood. And when the death angel passes over, the blood will be your protection. That was not the time to skimp. If you were a handyman in those days and you really, really liked to skimp and water down the paint when you painted your little house, this was not the time to skimp. You just killed a little lamb and it wasn't very much blood. It was worth your while to kill another lamb to make sure you had enough blood. You didn't want the death angel to have to squint and see whether or not there was any blood on the doorpost. You wanted the death angel to see it from miles away. That house is covered by the blood of Jesus. Folks, this is not the time to skimp on our praying. This is not the time to skimp on fasting. This is not the time to skimp on reading our word. Oh, hallelujah. We've got enough word to keep us. Hallelujah. We've got enough blood to heal us. We've got enough salvation to help us in any situation. This is not the time to get stingy with God. People say, oh, I worry about the economy. I better cut back on, on, on whether or not I pay my tithes or whether or not I, I give in the offer. I better cut back because times are bad. That's a trick of the enemy. You do the exact opposite. Things get tough, get tight. Is there any better investment than investing in the one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills? Not only will he honor you for your obedience, hallelujah, you're saying, Lord, I trust you more than I trust the stock market, more than I trust gold coins. I trust you and I trust your word. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or its seed begging bread. You want to take care of your children? Be faithful to biblical principles. That's what David said. So when the death angel passed over, he said the blood will be there for your protection. There's enough blood to protect us and the entire family. I believe tonight that the Lord, we started talking about this back in March, but I believe with all of my heart that the Lord gave us a word there and six months later we need to remind ourselves that it's still the blood of Jesus that's going to cover us. It's the blood of Jesus that covered those post-apostolic fathers as they went through terrible times of torture and persecution. And it's still the blood of Jesus that will keep his people in any situation. He's going to preserve the church. He's going to take care of it. We, we talked about that on Sunday. I feel it again tonight. The Lord is saying, you're the salt of the earth. He's going to take care of us. He's going to get us through any situation. Stanley Pramuth was, was at his desk on the 81st floor of the World Trade Center South Tower on September 11, 2001, when he saw an airplane fly 
past the Statue of Liberty and suddenly appear larger and larger through his office window until he could see a red stripe on the fuselage and the letter U for United Airlines. When hijacked flight 175 banked and headed straight toward him, engines roaring, Framuth, then an assistant vice president at Fuji Bank, dove under his metal desk yelling, Lord, protect me, Lord. Save me, Lord. I can't do this. You take over. As the, no as the nose of the plane smashed through the tower, just 130 feet from his desk, the ceiling collapsed. And everything around Pramath erupted into flames. He held on to the steel legs of his desk that immediately became hot as the air attempted to suck him out now that there's this gaping hole in the building 81 stories up. Curling into a fetal position, he said, Lord, I'm not ready to die. I want to see my wife and my two daughters. Please send somebody to help me. Finally, he was able to stand up, but in the darkness he groped around and realized that he was trapped, and he started yelling for help. Thanks to a stranger, a man by the name of Brian Clark, who heard those pleas, came to his aid. Instead of fleeing down the only surviving stairway in the South Tower, Pramuth became the only person at the impact zone to escape that morning. The only survivor. Nineteen years after 9-11, Pramuth, now 63, and Clark, Brian Clark, 73, once an executive vice president at Euro Brokers, who's now retired, as they interviewed both of them, they call themselves blood brothers. And they are, literally and symbolically. Because Brian Clark was higher up, and the people that were up higher on the floors that he was at saw all the smoke below them, and they decided to go up higher to try to get to fresh air where Clark decided to go down and as he went down he heard the cries of Stanley and through the smoke with his flashlight he convinced Stanley to jump over a mangled sheetrock wall so that he could help him as he cleared the wall and found his way to Brian Clark Brian Clark testifies that Stanley kissed him on the cheek. Clark said, we both dusted ourselves off and shook hands. Hi, I'm Brian, I told him. And he said, hi, I'm Stanley. We'll be brothers for life. Clark then took his left hand, which was bleeding from a gash, and he rubbed it against Pramus' right hand, which was bleeding from a screw punctured wound. I told him, I have no siblings, and I'd be glad to be your blood brother. Clark recalls, then we rubbed our two hands together. 
After that, Brian put his arm around my shoulders, says Stanley. And he said, come on, buddy, let's go home. Because the stairwell was filled with smoke, the other people with Clark had decided to, to venture up further, higher, never made it. They felt it would be safer to go up. Clark says something drove him to go down and to help someone who was crying. That decision saved his life. Moving towards someone that was crying for help against all odds saved his life. After helping Frameth over the wall in the darkness, the two men headed down 1,620 steps with water gushing everywhere from broken pipes, walls falling, fires everywhere. They came down, and as they came down, they saw other rescue workers going up, some trying to carry people with broken backs. They made their way down 1,000 620 steps. About four minutes after they stepped outside the cell tower and ran towards that little Trinity church, their building collapsed, followed by the North Tower 30 minutes later. Stanley Premith only had one shoe on as he made his way down these 1,620 steps. And only that one shoe he kept on that, all of his weight on that one shoe, bouncing on one foot, trying to make his way down through shard glass and the rubble of this tremendous tragedy. What's interesting is that that one shoe is, is on display now at the, the 9-11 Museum and it's stored in a box in a glass case, and all the way around the box is written in very amateur fashion the handwriting of Stanley. And all the way around that box with his one shoe is simply the word deliverance. Shards of glass are embedded in that thick rubber sole. You see... Stanley Premeth was a deacon in the Pentecostal church in Elmont, Long Island, a Sunday school superintendent. He recovered in a hospital bed in the days after the attack, traumatized and delirious. He didn't recognize his wife at times. He didn't recognize his children at times. His doctors told his wife that they didn't know if or how well he would ever mentally recover. He wrestled with why some people died and he was able to be saved. As he lay there in that hospital bed listening to his own thoughts, wondering about his purpose in the wake of such a miraculous escape, he heard someone say in another hospital bed out in the hallway, he heard someone say that life's answers are in the Bible. It reminded him of his faith, of his commitment. And he asked his wife 
can you bring me my Bible? She brought it to him and he opened it to Psalms 91 and he started reading this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Stanley said, I read it over and over. And he said, the third time I read it, I snapped out of it right then. And I realized that God saved me for a reason. Now this Sunday, he'll be in a church somewhere speaking. Next year on the 20th anniversary, he'll be somewhere speaking. He's booked up till 2025, sharing his testimony. He said, God saved me so that I would tell others that he wants to save them also. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, though we have pestilence that stalks in the darkness, and though we have a plague that destroys at midday, we also have the blood of Jesus that delivers. We have the friendship of our Lord that puts his arm around us and says, come on, let's go home. We are blood brothers with the one who has enough blood to keep us and to heal us and to raise us up. That's why he said to Thomas, come on, Thomas, I want you to feel the prince in my hands. He's still saying that to men and women today. Come on, I want you to feel the prince in my hands. I want you to know, hallelujah, that there is enough blood to cover everything that you're facing. Would you stand to your feet? Mm. Oh, I feel the Lord just coming down right now and wrapping his arms around us. I don't know what you may be facing tonight, but I feel a word of encouragement from the word of God. The Lord wants you to know he wants to be your blood brother. Would you just put your hands in the air as the Lord puts his hands around you? And would you thank him? Lord, I give you thanks and praise. What a great God you are. What a mighty God you are, Lord. You are my King. You are my Lord and Savior. I bless you, Lord. I give honor to you. Lord, you have given us enough blood. You've given us enough joy. You've given us enough hope. You've given us your spirit, oh God, that we can worship you. We feel that strength right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we've just come into your house one more time tonight to, to tell you we love you, Lord, and, and to exalt you one more time. 
and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. you for your blood Lord thank you Lord for your word thank you for your spirit oh God hallelujah Jesus oh yes Lord I feel like the Lord is telling us tonight there's some things that we ought to turn over to Him. If you want to pray in your, your seat, I just encourage you to take a few moments before you leave and pray in your seat. If you want to come down to the front, I invite you to come down to the front. I just feel like it's important for us tonight to maybe take some things that we've been dealing and struggling with, maybe some things that we're facing, but to just turn it over to the Lord right now and to say, Lord, I'm going to put it in your hands and I'm going to, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe in you, Lord. God bless you tonight in Jesus.